I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, 50 grand, he gets it in one take. It's Andy Greenwald! The re-up, let's do this. What's up, brother? Let's do a podcast. Uh, today on The Watch Re-Up, you are listening to us via The Ringer Podcast Network. Ooh. And today we are going to be talking about the incredible episode of Mr. Robot last mm-hmm. night. So that will serve as some of it. Andy also has... What I'm sure is a fantastic interview with Smilf's Frankie Shaw. Yeah, also late of Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah. We talked a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I, as Damn, Chris and I circle. mentioned the other day, Smilf premiered on Showtime this past weekend. Second episode's coming up this Sunday. Um, you Frankie have Shaw. Elevator pitch for that for the folks who don't know? It's right there in the title, man. Smilf. Smilf. It's, that's one of those shows that, that sells itself. What's the S? Single. Oh, I you didn't get smiling, that? smiling mother <laughs> yeah. that I'd like to befriend. Friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is fascinating. What what other acronyms do you not switch know? hitting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think the show is terrific. Um, I think Frankie's terrific. Um, she created the show, stars in it, wrote most of it, directed a bunch of it. Uh, this week's episode is a great showcase, not just for her, but for one of the co-stars of the show, Connie Britton. Mm-hmm. Many people don't know Mrs. Coach is on the show. Oh, wow. Anyways, it's great to talk to Frankie and convenient because Smilf happens on this lot, Yeah, man. This is where the Smilf happens. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we talked about the show. We talked about her path to the show. And we also talked about um, uh, her time on Mr. Robot and what a positive experience that was for her. Fantastic. All right. We're going to get to Mr. Robot in a little bit. Let's start with two pieces of news. And obviously, news is happening quite a bit. A lot in of news. Hashtag this town. I know that when people say that, they're talking about DC, but still. Uh, Hollywood. Did, um, did you know what the S stands for? <laughs> this has been obviously a very tumultuous time in the entertainment industry because of all the allegations and all the discoveries mm-hmm. of almost chronic sexual abuse in offices, in parties, in hotel rooms, on sets. Mm-hmm. Going in, on. in ways that are inextricable from the business. Yeah. And we have not really like commented that much about it for the most part because we don't really have anything to add. Obviously, it's just horrifying mm-hmm. and we're sort of letting the, the news play out as it goes. But as it starts to have this domino effect on the production and the reception of of television and movies will obviously jump in where where it's needed yeah because you know? otherwise i think that the, the the best thing the only thing that we can do on the outside is just listen yeah you know? exactly you, you listen to women listen to victims believe allegations give people the benefit of the doubt in what they have to say and the bravery in coming forward and i just feel like it's just been it's been truly shocking yeah and i think that the fact that it has been truly shocking to me is an ultimate sign of privilege quite honestly sure. And to your point, in some ways, this is just beginning. Yeah. And the underlayer of a lot of this stuff is going to be like who and what entities knew what, when, and yeah. what does that mean? And mm-hmm. what are they like responsible for? Obviously, Kevin Spacey is at the center of a lot of this, along with Harvey Weinstein. There's been a series of allegations about Spacey over the last few weeks, starting with Anthony Rapp, I think two weeks ago. It's just two weeks ago um, in BuzzFeed. Netflix has said that they will no longer be making House of Cards with him, even mm-hmm. though they were in production on, I think, the sixth, sixth season. Well, yeah, they, and, it's been a series of press releases yes. from them. First, that this was going to be the last season, which may have been the case regardless, but they got out in front to say that. And yes. then they shut down production yes while they were in production and then they said that if production resumes kevin spacey won't be a part of it right and then news broke that the writers who probably had gone off to other jobs or were enjoying a well-deserved vacation were called back in to basically re-break and rewrite the season without the central character of the sure show. so i assume we would have to assume that frank underworld would will die in between the yeah. seasons we, in I, I mean this whole thing is 
it, it's uncharted territory. Yeah. And speaking of which, Spacey was supposed to be in a Ward's bait movie this winter. Well, he, uh, he was in it until. You're right. So yes. all the money in the world, Ridley Scott's thriller about the kidnapping of a Getty era, era mm-hmm. and the pursuit of the hostage situation set in 1970s which, in Rome. Which, by the way, is the subject of an upcoming FX series yeah. uh, directed by Danny Boyle as well. Right. So Ridley Scott had this film coming out, All the Money in the World. Kevin Spacey played J. Paul Getty. Uh, the patriarch. The patriarch of, like, of the Getty family. Michelle Williams played, I, I, I can't remember what like relationship. It's like a, 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 a white niece or... S- daughter-in-law? Yeah. And, um, and Wahlberg is the lawyer? And Wahlberg is a lawyer who's sort of a Michael Clayton fixer who's trying to, to rescue this kid. Right. It looked cool. You know, it looked really good. Uh, and then as these spacey allegations come out there's more and more speculation about how it's going to affect this movie would we even see this movie with it because they had already canceled the afi festival premiere screening premiere screening and then yesterday it comes out that ridley scott will be reshooting all of spacey's scenes with christopher Plummer in the role of j paul getty and that mark Wahlberg and michelle williams were both going to be part of these reshoots that they were it's not going to be some cutaways to Plummer. And then cut back to Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg. Although there from, probably will be some of that. I'm sure there will be. And actually, strangely, although Kevin Spacey obviously hasn't passed away, Scott has previously had to do some magic. Mm-hmm. Where during Gladiator, Oliver Reed passed away during That's production, right. and they had to fix some of uh, the movie with mm-hmm. CGI or some creative, you know. And, and that was years before this sort of tinkering. Um, obviously, this is a totally different thing. But but moving characters, moving actors in and out. Mm-hmm. I mean. This is this is par for the course in Hollywood. It's just the specifics of the situation. Fully recasting someone, dropping those scenes into a movie that, by the way, is opening next December twenty second. It's a, it's yes. wild. So by this point, typically, I mean, I know you hear stories about people we're cutting right into the point where we have to ship or whatever. But this is I don't know if the sets are still up or if they've still got the villas in Rome that they can shoot in. Ridley I mean, Scott probably has a spare villa. I'm sure also that Ridley Scott, if you look at his the the credits for his movies, they tends to work with a lot of the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. His production design team, like so, I'm sure that if if something like this needs to happen, it can get done. Yeah. It was apparently unilaterally. It was Scott's decision that, that he yeah. went to the studio with. Apparently, he also really wanted Plummer in the first place, which makes me feel like this was all part of the story was like, you know, an insider close to the production. I was like, was the was the insider named Bibley Smot? You know, like, <laughs> it sounds it's a very like Ridley Scott steps in and saves the day. By the way, Christopher Plummer is a better casting choice. Let's start with that. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I have like a J. Paul Getty power ranking of actors I wanted to play him. But <laughs> well, you might need to now. I mean, it's, he's on TV, too. Look, this is really it's shocking. Mm hmm. Obviously, separate apart from the allegations against Spacey and the fact that three months ago this guy was hosting the Tonys, his career is now over. Yeah. The speed with which this has happened is, it gives you whiplash. I'm I'm really curious about this news, how it will play out, both from a technical cinematic standpoint, just like, can he do this? Mm -hmm. Can he cut someone out of a movie, cut someone back in and have it work? Can he make his deadlines? I mean, just those are interesting stories from a creative standpoint. I mean, Spacey probably did eight days. So yeah, I would it, imagine it's a cameo, a glorified cameo. It, it is it's probably a, like three or four scenes. Yes, and and probably those scenes are um, focused, meaning between one or two characters. He probably isn't swanning around yeah. in large group scenes. Right, right. That would have required getting the whole cast together. So that helps in that circumstance. I think about this, and I think about, and I don't mean to make this as a joke for our longtime podcast listeners. I think about Baby Driver, which was a which was a rapturously reviewed movie from this year that mm-hmm. features Kevin Spacey in a very Kevin Spacey part. 
how does that affect people's viewing of that movie and their memory of that movie, you know, um, the consideration of that movie going forward. It's a really interesting moment. And this, it's, it, yeah, you know, it, I, mean, I don't know if it's happening this. in real time. There was an interview with John Bernthal. I think it was about Punisher. And he was talking, I think he was actually on like, uh, like a, some serious show and it might've been, uh, Jim, what's his face? The guy who does Opie Anthony all the time, the comedian, uh, Jim Norton, Jim Norton. So I think he might've been on the Jim Norton show and they were asking him about Kevin Spacey and he, Bernthal was just pretty much like, I was not, I wasn't into him. He was like a bully to other people on the set. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't particularly care for him. And because I held him in such high regard as an actor, it was incredibly disappointing. And if he was doing it, what he was doing to other men, mm. to women, I probably would have stepped in. So I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. So this is what I'm talking about is that the backlash against this in terms of like, I'm not saying anything about Edgar Wright or about the people mm-hmm. who made Baby Driver and, and what there's no culpability. I, I I don't I can't adjudicate the culpability. This is part of the reason why this like is, this is every part of this is enmeshed with almost everything. But there else in was our a BuzzFeed article about like you know Bo Willman had been initially very like I had no idea mm-hmm. and if I had known and then people Bo Willman the, the Bo Willman the the not creator but adapter he was and he essentially was, he sh- the showrunner of and essentially of House, the creator of the American House of House Cards. of Cards with David Fincher and Willman had worked on the show for longer than Fincher. Although, although he, he like, left after last season, before last season. But these allegations go back to the first season. Certainly, I've just and, said the stage. Uh, Bo Willman had said like I had no idea, and this there's a, a new newer BuzzFeed article. It's like Bo Willman saying he has no idea is complete bullshit. Yep. You know, so this is gonna uh, the ripple effect of this controversy is going to be felt throughout the industry, and we. We're we're only just beginning to see it. Yeah, and you know what? I realized I was I just caught myself because I was about to even suggest a conversation that we're headed towards, which is art versus artist. Like, can we enjoy these movies again? Like, mm-hmm. can we watch the yeah, usual sure. suspects? Can we enjoy it, the English patient if one ever did when the logo of Miramax appears in the beginning? But this is not the time for that conversation. Sure. I mean, it, Wind it, River it, is a movie that I, I had a lot of time for this this year. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Sheridan and Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen all apparently asked for Harvey Weinstein's name to be scrubbed from the movie, even mm-hmm. though he was listed as a, you know, essentially, I think, executive producer. Sure. But does, is that, is it, is it the superficial scrubbing that makes you feel better about it or not feel better about it? I mean, that that's a question. We've often asked these questions about things like Chinatown, about mm-hmm. Annie Hall, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like movies from the past, allegations that have been, you know, but... Well, well it goes into, it. I mean, the, this conversation goes into all aspects of, life i mean baseball like yeah like ty cobb or much more recently you know people like pete rose like yeah. there there are bad people who do things that we cheer for and then one of the reasons why people look away is because they don't want to consider that yeah they want things to be theirs and 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 part of part of appreciating art and enjoying art is the, receiving these things you know and having your own personal relationship with them and so these heinous acts and this behavior that went on for many people unchecked for many years does affect all of us sure in a way uh, obviously not we are not the victims here but it is it's it's interesting we began this conversation by saying we weren't sure how much we have to add i still feel like i just don't know i don't even know how to begin to articulate it because yeah because it is it is ongoing we are not the victims here we need to listen to the victims but it touches everything that we talk about. Sure, absolutely. So, so, so to your point, like I'm, I'm glad we started talking about it, but it's also weird. We, like, we well, either, how do you stop? How do you stop? Exactly. Once you start? Exactly. Well, another huge story in the industry, although obviously overshadowed by mm-hmm. a lot of the controversy happening this week, is 
apples. Yeah. Just off the top rope entrance into the content game. Now, this has been rumored. This has been rumored for a while. And Apple made a deal with Steven Spielberg and Brian Fuller to do amazing stories. And that was the first show, TV show. Well, Carpool Karaoke is their first show. Sure. But it, it, but, it, but, but it, it, Carpool Karaoke will always be their first original show the way um, the uh, the Netflix, the, the little Steven. Lilyhammer, right? Lilyhammer, yeah. little Steven in. in Corden the, is, is the Steven Van Zandt of Apple. That, that is always going to be the first Netflix show, no matter so how many had, articles this week said House of Cards was the first. Uh, they had already, uh, so they already made a deal with Spielberg and Fuller to do Amazing Stories, which is an anthology series, but they're, this one is honestly like a little bit more notable. So they're going to do um, an as of yet untitled mm-hmm. show about uh, morning shows, and mm-hmm. it will star Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And it is going to be somewhat based on, or at least draw from uh, Brian Stelter's Top of the Morning, which was a book about a juicy book. The people, you know, from the hosts to the producers and, and the executives and the people who work behind the scenes. Of how your oh. morning show sausage is made. And morning show being Today Show, more specifically. Yes. And, and, and versus Good Morning America. So a couple things about this. A couple months ago, six months ago, let's say, Apple hired away the co-presidents of Sony, the TV studio, to run their TV studio. Yeah. Ever since then, to exist in this town has been to hear the plaintive whistle like Omar walking through Baltimore. Like, something's coming. Yeah. And this news is the uh, shotgun blast, basically. Apple is, as we all know, very good at controlling narrative and spinning a story about what they do. And when they, you know, people line up for their products, people line up to hear about their new products. There was no way they were going to start small. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this to me is the show itself is almost completely tangential to the story. Oh, yeah. This is, it's almost Mm old-fashioned. I mean, I think that there is actually a, a Tina Fey show on air now that's about like yeah, yeah. a new show. It's right? a new show, great news. Right. Which is, um, which is pretty good. And um, I, Tina Fey produced show. You know, there's like the uh, Rachel McAdams movie, Morning Glory, that came out like about 10 years ago or mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, this is not, they're not doing Westworld here. I mean, like this is like a pretty standard like TV show trope is to be like, what if we went behind the scenes? Now, this might be really gritty or it might be like, I have no idea he, he, what we're talking thing, about here. We don't know. Yeah. And what's interesting about us not knowing. It comes from the press releases, which if you read it, especially not just their initial press release, but, you know, the way the Internet works now where like there is the story that breaks it, whether I think it was the Hollywood Reporter in this case, everyone that regurgitated that story cut out any of the information about who was actually making the show. It yeah. was all Apple has bought this show with Jennifer Aniston. And yeah, Reese it's Jay Carson because who that's, worked on House of Cards is, I think, writing it. Right. And so, but let, but like read further into it. So that the other, the other takeaways from this is that the deals with Michael Ellenberg, who was the head of drama at HBO for many years and um, is considered, you know, crucial in developing a lot of the shows that we like and love, um, especially The Leftovers. He maintained a producer credit on The Leftovers, I think, after he was relieved of his duties. Um, Westworld was developed under his watch, um, but aired afterwards. Um, And he then got an independent producing deal. So this is Apple making a bridge to someone who has all the HBO contacts and talents. And apparently this idea was an Ellenberg original idea. Like, it was his idea. And then he went to find a writer, or he went to find the stars first. And there's a lot more of this happening. Um, There's the show coming on Netflix, Maniac. That yeah, was sold Emma to Stone Netflix Jonah Hill. with Kerry Fukunaga, the yeah. director, Jonah Hill, and Emma Stone attached. Only later did they bring on um, someone, my good friend, Patrick Somerville, to write the show. So it's a little bit of top-down engineering, and yeah. that doesn't mean any of these shows are going to be bad. 
But it, what it does mean, because let's, let's remember one other thing about the Apple show before we move on. How's anyone going to watch it? We don't know. Yeah. Is it iTunes? Is it Apple branded, but will be uh, distributed? Are, yeah. Are they going to push it just through people who have Apple TVs and onto your phones? Is it going to be through iTunes? Um, and if it is majority, because many, many people have Apple products, certainly phones, not that many people have the Apple TV. Um, will they airplay the show from their sure. phone? Will they watch it on their phone? Let's be completely honest about this. None of that matters right, right now. What matters is that was a, they, it's a big splash and they, probably significantly outbid everyone else using the Netflix playbook where Netflix outbid everyone else for two seasons of House of Cards. The only thing I want to add is the irony that in this new media juggernaut is making its first entree into mm-hmm. television by like basically romanticizing the most old fashioned thing about television. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? and it's like it's like there's nothing more quaint and traditional than a morning show at this point. Also, what about headlining it with one of, if not the biggest TV star of the 90s? Yeah. Which is to say, I mean, Jennifer Aniston has plenty in her tank. Sure. She's, she's great. And everyone's going to be excited to see her in a show like this, I would think. Right. I mean, they will tailor it to her, certainly with her old uh, friend's running buddy, Reese, Queen Reese. But but it's interesting. Also, what does this mean for Bigger Little Lies? I guess they'll probably have time since they, they don't have I, a show They have written. to figure that out first, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's make sure we get to Mr. Robot before we get to the Frankie Shot of interview, because last night... In some ways, for at least within the world of the show, is a seminal episode. Runtime mm-hmm. era, the fifth episode of the third season, entirely one shot. Is it, it commercial free? I mean, I'm saying one shot yeah. with air quotes because there are places where you can see, like, you go through a elevator and there's like mm-hmm. a whether it's a wipe cut or whatever it is. But in terms of its storytelling, it is one shot, mm-hmm. and it is essentially a two hander between Elliot and then at the end, the sort of last fourth of it is Angela. Do you want to give me a broad strokes like how you're feeling about this season mm-hmm. so far? I know obviously we have a you have a personal and a professional relationship to some extent with Sam, and we have personal relationships with Sam, so we're not like gonna be like, man, that sucked. Yeah, you know? but, but well, luckily it didn't. Luckily it didn't. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought this episode was spectacular. I loved watching it. I was lucky enough to have. I mean, I, I had read the script. I knew this was coming, and was just dazzled by how it was delivered. I'll leave it to other people to talk about the technical specifics of how this was done. Yeah, there's a really good interview with Sam uh, on Uproxx with Seppenwall. Yeah, where you talk about the specifics of it, um, including how, you know, they did things that I had never really seen before in episodes like this, like the moment when the camera teeters over the edge of the building to give a sense of where Angela is within it. I love this episode because certainly Mr. Robot has always had the aesthetic and technical uh, chops to always have in the conversation for one of the best shows on television. There, there simply are no other shows that look like it, that have this, the, the uh, consistent visual aesthetic allowed by one director and a very talented director at that. This was an episode that, to me, triumphed because it married the, the form and the content. Yeah. So much of the show, and, and frankly, both good and bad, come from trying to articulate or, or demonstrate the conflict within the main character. It is such an internal show. And I think some of the challenges, particularly uh, at the end of last season and and sporadically in this season as well, has been trying to physicalize or uh, synthesize the the tension of a character who's essentially at war with himself and make us care about it. My difficulty with the beginning part of the season has been every keystroke Elliot does, Mr. Robot, who is also Elliot, undoes it. 
And it often feels like, and I've said this to Sam, it can feel like a character punching himself in the face. Sure. Which is not always fun for audiences to watch. Right. Unless it's one of those, like, videos that used to sell at Kim's with, like, people <laughs> in, like, shopping carts, like, attacking each other. Like, like sub-jackass <laughs> genre. Those were big sellers. Big, right? I know. Yeah. So there's an audience for it, is what I'm saying. I just wasn't the audience. Uh, last night elevated it all. I mean, obviously, people get excited, I think, both on set and just around a creative enterprise. And people are like, we're going to do something impossible. Mm-hmm. But the way that it made me feel like this vertiginous feeling of being trapped in the building, but also being trapped inside of Elliot's point of view, the way that important story points, like the annexation of an entire country in Africa, were told through New York One wipes, basically. Like, mm-hmm. cut to the... so, And then we see the effect that it's having on the, on the crowd outside and the riot. We go up the building, down the building. It was... All of it was in service to uh, the story in a way that I thought was really, really well done. You know, we've said in the past that, like, some of the Philip Price White Rose stuff was sort of opaque to us, especially because they were just talking about it in rooms. Like, I basically couldn't... I couldn't figure out what the MacGuffin in this show was. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and, and I think that one of the reasons you mentioned the annexation of Congo stuff that gets d- disseminated through these uh, elevator TV screens while people are going up and mm-hmm. down, I am uh, increasingly enamored with how Sam is deviating from a slightly tweaked reality mm-hmm. from when the show started, mm-hmm. when it was uh, out of the financial crisis, still late Obama, to a uh, alternative reality. You yeah. Know? Like a world the, of his own creation, increasingly detailed, increasingly deep with um, current events, political figures, economic and, woes that and, are and specific to the show. But plausible in our yes. real world as well. Right. And yet seemingly influenced by the reality that the viewer is living in. People who stick around to listen to my interview with Frankie Shaw will hear this, and I hope you do stick around. But when we spoke about her role on the show um, as Shayla in season one, she talked about what a pleasure it was to play a character that that provided such a, honestly, a narrative service to Elliot, to Rami's character, giving him emotional stakes and giving yeah. him a reason to uh, feel the things that he felt midway through the season, season one. And I would say that the show has struggled to replicate that since Shayla has been gone. And another thing that I really liked about this episode is it really drilled down on the two women that motivate him the most. Yeah. And the double betrayal of them. I think if you ask Sam this, he would say it. And we'll ask him this next time he's on. But I think the show does succeed. And I think he would agree when it's, it's, a, it's a family drama, kind of. And it's just a fucked up family drama that happens to have where this family has crashed the world economy. Yeah. So the idea that, that Darlene, his sister, has betrayed him. And then now we see also what's become of Angela. And, and Portia Doubleday is really leaning into this performance in a way that I love. Yeah. Um, and the tension of it. She and, was fantastic last night. And Bobby Cannavale, just as the voice alone, is yeah. so great. But And we get these images like the guy, the delivery guy in all white eating the barbecue sandwich alone in the, in the yeah. building. Anyway, um, the uh, bringing it back to these people and his emotional connections to them matters because i think the other thing that caused some viewers to get a little whiffy with the show is when it's unclear what the protagonist wants or is fighting for particularly because the protagonist is also the antagonist about it yeah um we knew what he wanted season one sure since then he's just tried to put the toothpaste back in the tube which is complicated yeah it can be interesting and it can be frustrating this was a lot clearer and cleaner plus when the stakes are an entire building in downtown manhattan is going to blow up that's that, that. Those are pretty high stakes. The key shot for me last night was, and it's probably my favorite shot in the in the show in the show so far. 
is the uh, people on Reddit have been comparing it to uh, Into the Void, but it's basically this overhead shot of Angela working at the the dock, and you kind of see over the. Oh, bal- that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, and you see down into the the people rioting down, and to me that really represented that the show is going over the ledge. Like mm-hmm. this is. What we thought of of Mr. Robot for these first two and a half seasons mm-hmm. is is it's one thing, and now I get the feeling I have no pre knowledge of this. You can see if you look at, at Reddit, people guessing. There's there people are really starting to uh, put some stuff together uh, that something huge is going to happen on this show that is going to make it significantly different from the one that we started with. I, I am very much a fan of and very interested in Angela's goals here because yes. clearly she believes in white rose because she believes that white rose can undo something yeah can undo the past and again like this is to me where mr robot is at its most successful if you think about elliot and angela particularly as these two broken people who both lost a crucial family member and how they process that and elliot's processed processed it with denial and rage basically um and recreating the father figure as a expression of his own id mm-hmm Whereas Angela appears to be in such deep denial now, she thinks she can undo it. Sure. Keeping them on the same playing field and moving forward, like that's a very interesting show that will then also, I think, can support all the bells and whistles and annexing whatever country you want. Um, Two things. Do you remember that that building where they shot the outside? I think that's where Def Jam used to be. Oh, I thought it was Battery Park. It looked like the Universal Plaza building like on 50th and 8th Avenue. Oh, I thought it was on the West Side Highway down at Battery Park near the tunnel. I think the room where um, Angela almost got maced was the room where I sat at the Rough Riders (laughs) Volume 2 listening session um, where the guy guy came in and put the the CD of like, you know, the best Dragon cuts from it and put it on the thing. And then he like took a six pack of Heineken and put it on the table. And I remember our colleague and friend John Dolan cracked one because we were the target audience for Rough Riders. And then do you remember these listening sessions? They would like turn the volume up and they would turn it up so high the building would be shaking as if F Society was riding downstairs. Yeah. And then and then the guy would like rap along yeah, with it. Yeah. And then he would turn it up louder. It was like the original director's commentary. I loved it. <laughs> okay, that's it for us, you and I. Yeah. You have your interview with uh, Frankie Shaw from Smilf coming up and yep. then we'll be back on Monday. We have a really cool show for you on Monday. So we just want to keep it a little secret. Not that it's like, you know. De Niro's not coming on, but, you know, we'll have, like, a fun show for you. Joe Pesci's coming on. (laughs) Okay, until Monday, take care. Have a great weekend, Bradskis. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the homies at Sonos! Our good friends. Sonos blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music and more. And, Andy, it was like, how could Sonos be better? How could it be better? I mean, here's the thing. I already was talking to my Sonos. Yeah. I'd be like, seriously, Sonos. I was doing it too. I was like, Sonos, I love you. You make my life easier <laughs> by giving me this high quality your sound. Sleek and, design. And you're at this high quality sound in multiple rooms. Yeah. You're saving my life and my marriage. And then you could be listening to NPR in one room and your wife could be listening to Rough Riders Volume 2 in the other room. In broad strokes, that's correct. But now you can use your voice to control your Sonos. It's amazing. You you can use your voice to play songs while you cook. You can tell Alexa to turn up the volume while you're in the shower. You can even request a lullaby out loud if you're tucking in your kids, if you have kids. Also, if you just want to get that lullaby going, if you're sleepy, you got that. Maybe you just want a gentle bridge to... (laughs) 
Terabithia, you know? You can play songs, turn on lights, adjust the temperature, check news and traffic, manage smart devices, and more with the helpful Amazon Alexa skills, all using a single Sonos speaker. Sonos One is backed by a pair of Class D amplifiers and custom-built drivers, so the sound is face-melting and pure, although I would say, if you're going lullabies, maybe sub-face-melting volume. Don't, don't melt the face. And since Sonos is continually updating with new features, services and skills, your music and voice options will both keep getting better and better over time. And now Sonos is offering listeners of The Watch 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only, but Christmas is coming up. (laughs) And cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use promo code WATCH10, that's W-A-T-C-H-1-0, to receive this offer. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by the big homies at Delta. Now boarding on Delta, free messaging. You do not have to be off the grid when you're in the air. It's easy to access. Just go to Wi-Fi portal and select free messaging on your next Delta flight. You can use iMessage, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger simply by logging in to in-flight Wi-Fi. Delta Airlines is committed to constantly improving every aspect of the travel experience including your ability to stay connected in the flight. I love being connected when I'm flying, man. It's like, I used to say to myself, this is my time, no one can reach me. But now I feel like it's actually the time when I get my most pure communication in. I was on a plane on Sunday and I was texting you and Zach Mack just about topics. Yeah, just saying like, guys, thought starters. Yeah. With free messaging on Delta, you have no reason to stop the conversations you're having, whether it's Andy talking to me and Zach or me texting people about the Eagles on a Sunday. When you get in the clouds, keep those conversations going. Delta. And we're back. I am so excited now to share with you my conversation with Frankie Shaw. Frankie Shaw is the creator, the star, often the writer, often the director of the new Showtime hit comedy series, Smilf. I can say hit comedy series because it got really good ratings. It premiered on Sunday with a season premiere of Shameless. Episode two is coming up on this Sunday. If you haven't watched it, you are safe to listen to this interview, because let's be honest, the premise of the show is right there in the title. Frankie plays a single mom in Southie, that's Boston for people who haven't gone to the movies anytime in the last 20 years, and the show is a delight. It is funny, it is wrenching, it is so many things at once in the way new shows can be, uh, and I find that very exciting, and it was really exciting to finally um, speak to Frankie and talk about the journey towards the show, and um, as well as a little bit of talk, as I alluded to earlier, about her time uh, in New York working on season one of Mr. Robot. We also, because well, I also couldn't resist talking a little bit about parenting because obviously uh, the show Smilf is inspired by Frankie's real life. She has a nine-year-old son. She lives in my neighborhood here in LA. So we were definitely wasting a lot of mic time talking about schools um, and child raising. So a lot of that got cut, but I think we're going to go right into some of that before we pick up with the real conversation about the TV show. Smilf airs Sunday nights on Showtime. You can watch the first episode on demand now. I highly recommend that you do it. Let's get right into it. This is my interview with Frankie Shaw of Smilf. I am so happy to be joined here in the studio on Sunset Gower, the lot where we both currently work. Yep. I'm joined by Frankie Shaw. Frankie, thank you for sitting with me this morning. Thank you for having me. I know that we had a good head of steam going on our parenting podcast, yep. <laughs> um, but we can just pilot that okay. and maybe revisit it later. Um, first of all, congratulations on Smilf. And 
on the show's success because there are some press releases that suggest very good ratings. I don't know what ratings mean anymore, but these yeah, looked good. We it was very surprising actually to come in with some good numbers on the premiere, but we have to sort of hold on to some of it before we can celebrate. So how much of that I mean, you're you're still in the middle of it, right? You're still posting and you're Yeah, so I'm in the middle of editing one oh five. Okay. So, so this, I have yeah, I have um, you can't celebrate another, yet. An, another month of hard work, and then I can celebrate. What I, one of the things I want to talk to you about? Obviously, the show itself, and, and we'll come back to the more specifics of it. But um, we see a lot of shows these days, and your show is being um, categorized this way as well. It's like an auteur show because mm-hmm. you are starring in it, you created it, you are writing a great deal of it, you're directing some of it, um, you're show running. Mm-hmm. For real, what is your life like wearing all of these hats? What does that actually mean? Like for the lay TV fan who hears you doing press now, sees you on the show, how how crazy has your life been? And how I mean, it's been pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like time, it's all I'm doing. I don't have a, any sort of life okay. outside of it. Mainly also because we were shooting and I was editing at the same time. And were you shooting all here? We were in Boston as well, right? Yeah. So we shot interiors here on, mm-hmm. the, on the lot and then we went to Boston twice. Okay. Um, so I think in a um, in a less rushed TV schedule where I wouldn't have to shoot all day and then go edit, Yeah, it would have been a little bit more manageable to have some semblance of a life or sanity, you know? <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's just been basically because we got the pickup in May. Mm-hmm. We started writing in June. Oh, this has been, and then you had there to start shooting in August and pr- to premiere in November. So I'm sort of we, we wrapped last week, and so oh I've God. had a few conversations with some friends that I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reemerging into um, being a human again. Uh huh. Yeah. But this is a little crazy because um, one of the things that I think people have come to come to think about in TV is that this auteur model, like cable TV, prestige TV, everything's calmer, right? There's there's not that crazy rush that network TV used to have or broadcast TV. And normally it would be so. It would be, right? Yeah. But it was just because they had one spot for us to air, which was a great spot yeah, after, after sh- Shameless. After Shameless. And so it, there was no question. It was like, okay, we just have to figure it out. Um, so that's why it sort of felt, I think, more like how some network TV shows feel. What do you think... I guess it's a two-part question because I was curious about how how long a journey this has been for you with mm-hmm. this story or iterations of the story because the short was two years ago now, if not more. The short was at Sundance in 2015. Right. So shot summer of 2014. Right. So yeah. you've been living with this idea in this world for quite some time. And then before that, it existed in its own pilot. And then the short uh. was a scene from a pilot I had written originally to try to get staffed as a writer. How do you maintain the North Star during this long development process, different iterations of it, different voices, especially in the kind of atmosphere that I know exists here where people – there's a lot of like support. Mm -hmm. people Not support, but like this is great. What a great idea. I love this. I love your voice. Let's change it or let's throw more things at it or let's develop it. Well, I mean it's been a whole process honestly um, to maintain sort of what – was there originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's just like one of those things that it just never died. Like I kept having the next step. So yeah. we were in like outline, actually outline phase for a while. That was when I was actually in New York 
with Sam on Mr. Robot, and mm-hmm. I remember him being like really helpful. Because um, you're outlining it then to be that was for the pilot. Okay. And so it was just like so. That this was, was like, going to be a spec pilot. No, no, no. This was after we sold it to Showtime. Oh, this is already that. So this yeah. has already been. So this was like yeah. So, so that, you're filming Mr. Robot season one in twenty. 20- 16. 15. 15. 15, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So that was, so basically it was at Sundance in 15 mm-hmm. in January, sold it in February, mm-hmm. and then left for New York in March. So it was like, you know, so it was like basically we're in outline phase forever. Yeah. And then it was script phase. And it was just like it just never died. So that was sort of how we go, like, well, next, you know, next thing. But in terms of like the original, I mean, that's also been part of my own learning curve of – how do you maintain the integrity of what you wanted to do and say, mm-hmm. meanwhile, being in this collaborative medium? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the beginning, I had a lot more of this sort of timid, you know, female-associated fear, people-pleasing fear. And I just remember in the middle of the development process, like writing a script, a story that I didn't want to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because going, it was because of a producer really like wanting um, it to be a certain way oh I thought for a moment you meant you didn't want to write because it was so personal but oh, it was the no, opposite the opposite it was like really different like tone like hijinxy yeah it was like she's an Uber driver but she's a mom is she a party girl <laughs> like it was kind of like that uh-huh. and I remember just like it getting so depressed about it actually like dreading calls and mm-hmm. you know being like you know just wanting um sort of going and spinning out a little bit. Um, And for a variety of reasons, it was just sort of like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do it. And so um, we sort of had to come to Jesus, sit down. And I said, I can't write this version, and this is what I want to write. Who'd you sit down with Uh, other than uh, Jesus? uh, Well, (laughs) Another Jew, um, a producer, yeah. (laughs) A wise, bearded Jew. Exactly. And and amazingly, the person was really receptive and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm still learning how to be a producer. Go do your thing. Wait, really? Yeah, really. Because I'm like, should we part ways? It was sort of like a big thing because – and um, it was before our first big meeting with Nevins. Mm -hmm. Is the head of Showtime. Head of Showtime. Um, And it was sort of like this feeling of – um, because, you know, as a first-time show creator, and I didn't know mm-hmm. that I, like, what sort of um, voice I had or did it. And then mm-hmm. it really just like, oh, I'm just not afraid anymore. If we're going to fail, let's fail mm-hmm. on in the way that I want I want to see the show out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the show changed, and it moved from L.A. to Boston. Mm-hmm. Like, all these little things that had originally been there in the very first script I started writing in 2012. It became a Lyft driver, not an Uber driver. Exactly. Just the subtle, yeah, subtle things difference. that make a difference. <laughs> but what you're saying, I think, really resonates because so much of what happens – maybe this is true for other businesses, but I would say specifically in the TV business or in Hollywood – there's just a l- series of small cuts, like yeah. little things that add up to a serious wound of just things sliding by. Because you don't speak up, you don't say it, it's okay, it's okay. But if maybe if you did, and as you proved, you, if you do, it could, no one, no, everyone, people are ready to change it. Right. But everything just slides. Right. Like I think about some of these scenes in the pilot that originally had been suggested that I cut, you know, like her running to the store, leaving mm-hmm. the kid. Yeah. That was a scene that existed in the pilot from 2012, mm-hmm. right? That was one that people weren't sure about. 
um, Tutu leaving the kid alone, people weren't sure about. And then when we were long um, in the cut originally, someone suggested cutting her masturbating Mm -hmm. to the new girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those are so essential to, you know, the tone and the personality of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it is. It's like... Yeah, it's you, what if, you know, it'd be a totally different show. Yeah, I wanted to talk specifically about some of those scenes in the pilot and just the vibe in general of parenting, which I appreciated so much as, as you know, as a parent myself. Um, there's a vibe that you never see in movies and TV in your show, which is that sometimes things have to happen. Mm-hmm. Perfect is not possible. Mm-hmm. And sometimes someone has to watch the kid mm-hmm. and the kid's fine. But just accepting that is hard. Yeah. And it's emotionally wrenching and it's hard, as you were alluding to, it's hard for people to even watch or read about. Right. But that was, I imagine that was essential to the the piece. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that um, dichotomy of, it's not like an easy, it's not ever an easy decision to make, you know, you're making like an imperfect choice. Mm-hmm. So it's like the thing that like, um, like tugs at you the most. So, I mean, that's like the whole thing with. So, like, that was the thing. It was, like, when Bridget leaves Larry alone, it's not like she's like, peace out. I'm going to the store. It's like, I'm not going. I'm going. I'm not going. I'm going to put pillows around. Fuck. And then coming home, and it's like, oh, you're still alive. Like, of course. I I used to do that when I would leave a baby in the other room to go to the bathroom. I mean, that's a very familiar feeling. (laughs) Totally. Um, Yeah, I mean, it really is, in my limited life experience, like, the thing that – is the hardest thing, the best thing, and the most emotional thing. So, yeah. There's a line, I think, forgive me, if it's in the second or third episode, mm-hmm. about how everyone has messed up memories or something in their uh, childhood, but not Larry. Yeah. He's going to be fine. And the truth is, one of the best things about the show is that he is fine. Yeah. You know, because kids are adaptable. Resilient. Kids just need to be loved. Yeah. But it's also like, I, I mean, I struggle with this, and I... You know, it's something I'm constantly working out as a co-parent is, you know, like, what are we doing for us and what are we doing for our kid? Mm -hmm. And how do you keep those tracks both separate but aligned, right? Right. Like Isaac's nine and it's like he needs to stay in school because it's his life. (laughs) Yeah. So how do we all revolve around that, not just drag him around? Right. So, but it's hard because then the other argument, which I hear, is like, well, he's he'll get to go visit this country and he'll be with his oh, other Oh, you mean if you were off on – Yeah, uh, or his other parents or whatever, you know. It's took like, him on uh, location exactly. or whatever because bo- all, all of you are, are in the performing arts, let's right. say, and you're moving around and you've got things going on. But we are pretty – like, yeah, but we – each point is valid. My point is – my mine's the right one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. The mom is right yeah. and then <laughs> – but yeah, it's 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 challenging. So the, and now I mean, being alone with Isaac um, was, I mean, it was so hard, and it was like my whole existence in those first few years was mm-hmm. just like the struggle. Um, and so I really wanted to sort of show that experience while attempting to maintain Isaac, Larry, and the show as like the center. Mm-hmm. You know revolving all the decisions trying to revolve around what's best for him but then messing up obviously well i wondered about that because um obviously so much of the show comes from your own experience both literally and emotionally but also with the opportunity to have some distance because on the show larry is much younger than your actual son Mm -hmm. um what did you want to maintain as true to your experience Mm -hmm. and what were you excited to filter in i mean i'm a much more boring version you know (laughs) so it was like part of that was just um 
to have a more interesting, dramatic show is to make her a little bit um, more of an Uber driver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, having not really done work on herself or having self awareness in a way, you know, mm-hmm. um, be, playing with the idea of being a child and having a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, so a lot of the seeds of the stories are from my life, you know. I mean, Isaac's nine now, but he was two and a half once, mm-hmm. and it was a struggle that much more of a struggle then. Um, it's that fine line too, you know. It's um, what's going to be interesting storytelling. So, so in episode three, like I had never met with a person who I met on Craigslist, mm-hmm. but I answered an ad once, and then and then. Essentially, my story ended when mm-hmm. I was t- 22 before I had my son right. and was, like, terribly broke in New York. Um, my story ended outside of Kmart, and he <laughs> handed me $300 just to see my face, and I left. That did happen. That did happen. Wow. And I never had a conversation. What's incredible about that is that it's so specific. Of course it happened. Yeah. But that's where a lot of the great – and then it, 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 it opens up a doorway to an even richer and more – I won't say anything, more affecting story. So we're like, I was like, what would happen if then they went and had a conversation? What could happen? Yeah. What, what could, could happen? happen? Next? And so that's sort of what started that episode idea. And also, like, part of it is me wanting to tell these, you know, specific detailed stories of being a young mother, being a young woman, being broke, um, being someone who's dealing with being sexualized, all of that. Um, and then also the issues like, I'm interested in talking about, right? So it's like uh, I I believe in sort of the abolitionist standpoint about prostitution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to me it only exists in this sort of patriarchal society. It, there's no like like the prostitution rights is living within a um, systemic problem already. Right. So, Just servicing in a different way. Right. So like in episode three, it was like, well, what's the fantasy of it? Like what's the fantasy I have of it mm-hmm. versus reality? Mm-hmm. It's starkly different. I live – the fantasy is girlfriend experience. Mm-hmm. And then everyone I've talked to, people who've done it, uh, you know, books I've read, anything, all of that, um, it's it's purely dehumanizing. No matter what. No yeah. matter what. hmm and you can lie to yourself and numb yourself out, or but it's there's no humanity to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like how do we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Those two points of view, and that so that was that was where that seedling of that experience inside of Kmart then led to that episode. Let's talk about the freedom that um, allowed you to do that and explore that story. Because one of the things that I think is exciting about the first three episodes, which are all, I've only seen three, yeah. you're working on five, so there's a yeah. reason for it, <laughs> is that the show has freedom right now. Yeah. The show has limitless potential and is sort of feeling itself out. It's yeah. a young show. Right. So in the same episode that has the conversation that we're talking about, there is a fantasy sequence that involves uh, ancient Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's appropriately described. Yeah, but, for sure. But you can do those things. Yeah. Um, and we were talking <laughs> on the way in that it seems like some people who have watched the show, some critics have have bristled at that. Adverse reaction. Adverse reaction yeah. to the... Um, Tonal shifts. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, at first reading those reviews, it was like, oh, should we be more tonally clean? Should we, you know, like, I'm like, should I take this as criticism I should take to heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really not who I am. Mm-hmm. Everything I've ever made var- varies in tone vastly. Like, there's there's absurdity and there's groundedness, there's emotion, and then there's the humor. Like, mm-hmm. that's sort of, like, 
that off tone is my tone. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's also it's reflective of your experience because you're not always just one thing. Right. And especially, you know, and yeah, I don't know. It's just so so we do have these sort of wild fantasies and then we do have like the grounded. And I also feel like when you're dealing with some of these maybe more complicated issues, you have to have the levity. And then there's also this like if if you're all if we're talking about some, like a theme of trauma running throughout the season, mm-hmm. a distinct um, symptom of having not gone through trauma is dissociating, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe it's a big metaphor, mm-hmm. and that's we woven into you know mm-hmm. to the show. So um, it's also we all have such rich fantasy lives, you know, and so it's like a way in which to explore that. I also do wonder, and I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone who reviewed the show, certainly, because I can I can I can sort of see what I can see what they're seeing. I don't yeah. know if I agree with them. But there is a running thing through culture where to see a mother of a child yeah. behaving in certain ways or exploring certain things, even if we are woke or super woke, right. depending there are things built in. I mean, you described the, the reaction, the, the existence of, of prostitution in a system. Right. The way we see things is still part of that system. Is that fair and to say? And it's the most hypocritical thing. I mean, our country does not support mothers. No. It's the, it's the like, I call it the, you know, last frontier of feminism because mm-hmm. our government doesn't support it culturally, the workforce, like none of it. There's no, no rights. There's no daycare. There's, there's no, no daycare. There's no uh, paid leave. There's no paid leave. Women get divorced from their husbands who maybe they're the breadwinners and they're like, you're lucky to be taken care of for this fraction of, a, mm-hmm. of an amount. There's no value to it. And yet we uphold this sort of motherhood as as, as American, as apple pie Type thing, right? It's, you know? the, it's we we what did what did Kelly say? We, we I wish we could go back to a time we revered women in this country. Yeah, right, exactly. When was that? When was that? Yeah. It was way before. Let me know. Yeah, <laughs> um, way before Jesus was born, <laughs> or that producer you talked to exactly. who reminded you of him. Um, but it, the critic, like, it's really angers people. That's the yeah. thing, and I'm like, what is it? Because it's not like consistent to what you've seen or, you know, not to say that it's not a a, a perfect show. Obviously it's not, but uh, yeah, I'm just interested in to know why it really makes people mad. Well, I think it's worth unpacking that because mad is a very strong, anger is a really strong emotion that's very tied to love and need and all these things. And when shows make me like angry, like the leftover season one made me angry yeah, and I hated it. Yeah. And then season two I loved. And that anger was kind of related to the love, I think, because it was hitting something. Right. Did you know what it was? Um, I just think it was just a t- it was a tonal thing. Uh-huh. Like it was just so down. Um, people yeah. have heard Why this podcast. People have heard this podcast yeah. know my opinion about it. But basically, yeah. it's like um, I just don't believe in full darkness. Right. I don't think that you can see the darkness, quote unquote, without a little bit of light. Yeah. And once a little humor went in, then the dark hit hit right. me harder. To your point, yeah, I think it is. Um, here I am using all the words. I went from woke to triggering, but yeah. I think on some <laughs> level it kind of is triggering to force yourself to think about things like right. a woman who is a mother who we think should be doing something even if we even if we wouldn't consider ourselves the kind of people to put other people in boxes right. that exists right. and i like the way the show plays with it and challenges it and there's you know there's a moment again in in uh, episode in 2 where you know uh, Larry's at the doctor and a lot of things are going on and mm-hmm. there's just a moment when Bridget your character just puts on the bathrobe <laughs> yeah. and other things happen too yeah 
but we're there with her. And yeah. we, we are forced <laughs> to think about why she needs this in this moment right. and why this is the right choice. And I, I like that you leave us there, even though a lot of crazy things happen along yeah. the way. <laughs> Speaking of, I mentioned Connie Britton. I wanted to ask before um, I let you go about this amazing supporting cast you have because is it Miguel Gomez, is mm-hmm. that his name? Is I loved him in The Strain, a show I did not like. Yeah. I can say it. I don't know if you should, but... I'm so happy to see him so alive on something else. Wait till episode six. Okay. He he will he he gives such a crazy performance in six. He, he's terrific. Yeah. And um and then of course bigger names you have Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. who just is just seems like she was ready for this part in a way like just we really lucked out just, with her. Yeah. So yeah, she, you know, I was already in Boston in prep. And I'd met with some people, and it was sort of she. Her name wasn't even on any mm-hmm. of the lists. And then things fell through, and we were maybe two weeks out. And my incredible casting director, Deanna Brigitte, mm-hmm. oh, what about Rosie O'Donnell? And yeah. I'm like, oh, interesting. She yeah. isn't she a ho-? like? And then we're like, yeah, but, exactly. And then we FaceTimed, and she's like, my agent said it's not an offer, and I have to FaceTime you first. <laughs> <laughs> but she had watched both of my shorts and was um, into them, and so then. We, she just said she wanted to disappear in, in a role. She's like, I don't yeah. want to be Rosie. And so she hung out with my mom and she really just, I mean, uh, just like embodied. She just like yeah. transcended. She's just a, she's a presence. Yeah. In the best way. Yeah. Um, and then it's so exciting to see Connie Britton on your show. I mean, it's always exciting to see Connie Britton full yeah. stop. But yeah. I really love that. Her role in our culture, in the TV culture, you know, at this point is she is a goddess. Yeah. You know, everything, she comes down from Olympus to play these roles where we revere her. Yeah. <laughs> and what's so great about the way you've cast her in this is that that's sort of who she's playing, but it's not really who she is. Yeah. And you've allowed her to show other sides of herself. Yeah, and she was, she's so game to sort of show the less revereable aspects uh-huh. of this character and even more so later in the season. Having you've made the, you've wrapped the show, you're still working on it. Obviously, I feel like so much time was spent. Obviously, just getting getting to the starting gate. Yeah. How excited are you for what's what's to come? I mean, how much more does it feel more exciting now? No, I'm filled with dread. Oh, good. Okay. Oh yeah, I have. Um, I'm filled with major self doubt, and I have <laughs> no idea. Yeah. I'm like starting to read again a little. You know, I'm like, well. Yeah, we could do an episode about this. We could like I have I have no idea what to I I I've told you know I'm like if we do get a season two I need I need two months. Uh-huh. I need two months to just saturate myself in the world again. Yeah. Cause I'm I yeah. I I'm like, yeah, there's so much dread and anxiety. There's so much still to do, and then you get the good news about the ratings, which is good, but that right. might mean you have to do more of these things. Right. And then oh my god. It honestly, not to be like super cheesy with the analogy, but it's like we just birthed a baby. I mean, it's and I was, you know, I was telling my husband who writes on the show, we were like going running in a rare moment of like having 20 minutes to run Mm -hmm. around the reservoir. I'm like, this is what it'll feel like if we have an infant. Like, just so you know, like it's there's nothing. And so, yeah, it's just I know once we, we I'm like. When we got the good ratings, like, everyone calm down. We need to make sure we still get good ratings, like, Mm -hmm. before we can celebrate. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, and before we can celebrate, we need to, yeah, there's no real, I don't have the person, it's like the neurotic Jew thing, I think. Like, I don't have it in me to be like, 
to just really be happy about it. I think that would be weird, honestly. I don't. I set you up to say that you were, but I don't know anyone creatively who is like that. Right. Okay. Because um, I mean, it, it's just this. It's the constant. It makes no sense. But everything in this business is like. Um, I want that one thing. Right. I want that one thing. And then if you're healthy about it, speaking of Judaism, I don't right. know why this is such a religious podcast, but yeah. then you say dayenu, like that's enough. Right. But each level is a dayenu. But then it's like if I could only get that one, that one, that one, but there's never an end to the next one. Because it's so much easier to exist within the underdog sort of yeah. persona. You're like, can I do? Like, you know, like I don't know anyone in Hollywood, you know, yeah. and then to then be like, oh, shit, now it's been done to a certain level. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's all – Take a breath and calm down <laughs> and just stay great. focused. You know? So the sign that you have really cashed in is if there is that, that ride-sharing service yeah. app episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that'll be the – Then you know. That's the Fonzie jump in the shark <laughs> yeah. moment for you guys. Um, I do want to ask you since I have you here and I know – I mean I'm a big fan and I know a lot of the listeners are a big fan of Mr. Robot. Yes. Um, you had uh, – Quite a high. What's the basketball category? Like the PER, like the player rating. Oh yeah. Like when you were on the floor, you just had all dunks. Yeah. In season one of Mr. Robot, um, that was an, Shayla was an incredible character who I know a lot of people miss. Um, can you just talk very briefly about that experience and sure. like going into it? Did you know you were going out of it in a trunk? Yes. No? Well, so basically. Sorry, spoilers. Literally oh yeah. <laughs> no, that it's been the most fun experience I've had on a show. That's not my show. It's been incredible. So. Uh, it was incredible. So Sam, I auditioned for Carly mm-hmm. at Darlene. first. Yes, for Darlene. And then came in for Shayla um, like months before the pilot was shot. Yeah. And then like two weeks out, I was like, oh, you're going to go shoot this pilot. Um, went to New York. We shot it. And it was so fun, right? It was just like because the way Sam works, I know he, you've talked to him a bunch and I've said this, is just like – He's the most um, focused and liberating person to work Mm -hmm. with. So he enables you because he believes in you, and then you also just trust him. So it's like this freedom. It's this dynamic that we could all be so lucky to create on a set. So then you you had that. It was so fun. And then when it got picked up, it was the type of thing. I wasn't a series regular, right? But they had this long arc, Mm -hmm. and I had to be local in New York. So they couldn't pay me, and I had to leave my son. I was like, I don't know. Oof. I ended up staying basically in the closet <laughs> of a woman I used to babysit for. I don't even know if Sam knows this. Um, and I remember, like, debating with my agent. And then I'm like, yeah. well, they called. They said, you have a really good end. <laughs> and we didn't know what – I didn't see – hadn't seen the pilot. Yeah. It was on USA. Like, we didn't know what it was. Um, all right, okay, let's just go do it, I'll, you know. And then when we were there, it was obviously super exciting because we saw how it was being shot and – you know, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so sad. It's really sad. It was so sad to leave. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm sure it was sad to leave. It was. Sad. I mean, that's an incredible – it was an incredible arc. It was an incredible arc. And I really felt so emotionally connected. And, yeah, it was um, – it was fun to do that with Rami and to, like, be the conduit to show the other side of him. Mm-hmm. So that was – and also just to play this – um, you know, it wasn't. She was such a like playful drug dealer. Like it was like there was such a yeah. such a like different side to her that was fun to get into, not just like a typical fuck up, you know. Um, so, anyways, yeah, it was great. And then, 
Um, every season, Sam's like, I'm going to write you back in. Still waiting, Sam. <laughs> yeah, and you know, this season there's all this talk of, like, Angela like, wanting to, like, change time and alternate dimensions. And I would think that, like, a majority of Reddit is, like, they're doing this to bring Shayla back. Great, great, great. <laughs> but Showtime probably has something to say about that. Oh, I think that we're all friends. There's potential for crossover. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You've got Shameless, you've had me. There's, there's yeah. ways to get to each other. Exactly. So, well, okay, so last question then. I know this is looking way too far in advance for you because you have five more to post. No, we've done eight. You've done eight. Yeah. Okay. So we, we shot eight. Oh, okay. They're all, okay, they're eight. Yeah. Okay. So what will you do if you do get like, if you know you're getting a second season, mm-hmm. but you get like a short time off? What is your Monday morning? You, for that time off? You for mean? that first day off. I mean, all I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a favorite bookstore in Boston called mm-hmm. Brookline Booksmith, okay. and I spent $700 there last week, That's and awesome. they're shipping me a box. <laughs> it's for our whole family, yeah. and I just want to stay in bed and read. Like I know it sounds super dorky, but that's all I want to do because it's just – and then drift in and out. And watch some TV. That sounds like a that's dream. All, yeah, that sounds it? really good. I know. I feel like that's a wonderful way to end because maybe it will inspire someone who has the time or ability to do that. <laughs> go to do, do it. Just go turn off the TV, go yeah. read a book, but watch Smilf on Sunday nights. There you go. Please. On Showtime. Yeah. Thank you, Frankie. Thank you. Okay, that was my interview with Frankie Shaw of Smilf. And that's it for the watch. I don't even think Chris is here anymore. Chris left. Chris is listening to his Sonos in the clouds. I'm back. Oh, Chris is back just to say, have a great weekend. See you on Monday, Bransky's. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by the big homies at Sonos and the new Sonos One. Sonos One blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, the easy-to-use voice service for hands-free control of your music, and more. Use your voice to play songs while you cook or you're in the shower or while you're cooking in the shower if you're steaming broccoli. You can even manage smart devices all using a single Sonos speaker. And now for a limited time, Sonos is offering the listeners of The Watch 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Just use promo code WATCH10. That's capital W-A-T-C-H-1-0 at Sonos.com to receive this order. Don't cook in the shower. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Delta. Now boarding on Delta, free messaging. You do not have to be off the grid when you're in the air. It's easy to access. Just go to the Wi-Fi portal and select free messaging pass on your next Delta flight. You can use iMessage, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger simply by logging in to the in-flight Wi-Fi. Delta Airlines is committed to constantly improving every aspect of the travel experience, including your ability to stay connected while in-flight. With free messaging on Delta, you have no reason to stop the conversations you're having on the ground when you get in the clouds.